So tonight, uh, we're talking about freedom. Um, and if we're going to talk about freedom, we kind of need to name what we're actually talking about when we talk about it. Because uh, freedom, as we often think about it and understand it in our world today, um, is one thing. And then when we're talking about freedom, uh, when it comes to our Christian life and how we understand it, um, theologically speaking, right, when we're talking about what we believe when it comes to the words we speak about who God is and who we are in the world. Um, it's a different, it's a different thing altogether. So we, in our culture, a lot of times, freedom becomes kind of synonymous with autonomy. And autonomy is a word uh, that its root is in the Greek. And that word auto in it means self and nomos means law. And so autonomy means kind of self-law or self-governance, self-rule. It's meaning getting to be independent, right? Um, getting to exert our own will over our lives. And most often in our world today, in our culture, when we talk about freedom, that's the kind of freedom we are talking about. But in reality, when we're looking um, things um, at things uh, from our Christian perspective, when we talk about self-will and self-governance and self-rule, right, that is not what we equate with freedom. Um, actually, all of those things uh, from our Christian perspective are actually sinful, which is hard for us um, in our culture um, because that's not often how we think about it. Uh, but as Christians, uh, we are not to govern ourselves, right? We're not uh, to exert our own will. We are supposed to be governed uh, by the laws of God, right? We're supposed uh, to allow God to reign over our lives. We're supposed to subject our own will uh, to the will um, of our Lord. So when we talk about freedom as Christians, we aren't talking about autonomy we're talking about something different. To be truly free uh, in the eyes of God means that you and I are getting to live out the life we were created to live, right? And we were created by a God uh, that we believe to be a triune God, right? So God in God's very own being is relational, right? It's not one God. We believe that it's three gods in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer, which says to us, our God is a relational God, even in God's own being, right? And our God created us in God's image, right, for the purpose of relationship, to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with one another. And so for us, we are truly living out our freedom when we are living out that purpose in the world, when we are living out um, right relationship with God and with one another, which looks a lot different than when we are living life out of our own self-interest, right? So if I am just cruising through life, making decisions ba based on what is best for me, it looks radically different than if I'm cruising through life, paying attention to what decisions are going to keep me in right and loving and harmonious relationship with my God and with the people around me, right? 
And for God, the people around us is a pretty big circle, right? It's not just me and mine. It's everybody, right? So that's what freedom is in the eyes of God. We're not meant to be autonomous people. We're to be governed by the law of God. We're to subject ourselves to the will of our Lord. God's law and God's will for us, God's very being and whose image we were created calls us into these mutual relationships where we don't put our interests above the interests of God or of our neighbor. To be fully free, to be living out the existence God longs for us to live because it's what's best for us, because it's going to lead to the most fullness, full life for us and for others is to live this life recognizing that we are bound to God and to one another. So I came across a quote from Mother Teresa this week, and she said this, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. So if we look around us in the world today, we recognize that we have no peace, right? Whether that be internally in our own fears and anxieties or discomfort or in the ways we're living our relationships and the relationships we see getting played out in the world. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. The first half of our text today is full of people who have forgotten that they belong to each other. First, we encounter this slave woman who doesn't even get to belong to herself, right? She's somebody else's property who is owning her and exploiting her. And on top of that, she's also been possessed by the spirit um, who does this really cool thing of being able to tell everybody's fortunes. It's making her owners a lot of money, but she doesn't even have possession of her whole being, right? She can't even belong to anybody else because she doesn't even belong to herself. We encounter her. We encounter uh, the masters who owned her, right? And they definitely have not remembered that uh, she, she belongs to them other than just as a piece of property, right? They don't recognize her humanity. And they're operating out of their self-interest, right? Using her to make as much money as they can for themselves. Even Paul, who is supposed to kind of be the hero of the story in the first half of it, he's acting out of his self-interest as well, right? This woman who is possessed by the Spirit has been trailing him for days, telling everybody around him just who he is and what he and his people are up to, and he doesn't do anything about it, right? He just lets her be possessed by the Spirit, lets her continue to be owned and exploited uh, by the people who claim to own her. And it is only when he is so annoyed and irritated that she's continuing to follow him, that she's continuing to scream out about him, that he finally stops and commands in the name of Jesus Christ that that spirit would come out of her. And immediately, Scripture says, it leaves her. But he let her walk around for days before he did that. He waited until it was just in his self-interest, right, to free her, to take that action. 
The slave owners get upset, right, because their income's gone. They no longer have a slave that can predict fortunes because the spirit has left her. They just have a slave. And they're angry because they're going to lose a lot of revenue off of her. So they grab Paul and Silas, and they bring him to the city center before the officials. And they don't claim that that's what's happened. They don't try to convince the city officials that they owe them something because of this spirit that's been freed. Instead, they say, these people don't belong here. They're not Romans like us. They're Jews, and their customs are different, and they're, they're, they're making a mess of things. There's this huge uproar that they're causing. They need to get out. You know, you need to lock them up. The city officials hear that, and they, too, act out of their own self-interest because there's a crowd that's been gathered that the slave masters have riled up, and the city officials want to temper the crowd. And so what do they do? But they take Paul and Silas, and they have them beaten. And then they throw them into jail. And then even the jailer, right? He too, he's just doing his job, right? But he's acting out of his own self-interest because he wants to keep the job. He wants to keep the income. And so when the officials tell him to imprison these people unjustly, right? Who've just been beaten, he does it. Even though he may very well know that they really have no reason to be in prison. He locks them up anyway. The first half of our story is chock full of people who have forgotten that we belong to one another and are just operating out of their own self-interest. If we have no peace, Mother Teresa says, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. I don't know about you, but when I look around at the state of our world today, I think it is pretty easy to argue that we are very much lacking in peace. I think it's pretty easy to argue that by and large, we have forgotten that we belong to each other. I would say, I've been here eight and a half years now, right? I would say the majority of those eight and a half years, I, um, as a leader in this place, have been wondering and asking God, okay, Lord, what exactly is it that you have for us to do here? Because it's been obvious to me from the moment I landed here that we're supposed to be here. If we weren't, we'd be gone. We should have been gone a long time ago, right? God's have it, right? These doors should have closed a long time ago, but somehow the Spirit of God just keeps moving and we just keep being. And so I keep asking myself, I've been asking this question for eight and a half years, what is it that God is wanting to do in and through us beyond what is already happening in this place? And your leadership team and I, we've been asking that question a lot, specifically um, over the course of this past year. We've been trying to discern, because we can tell, like, Spirit of God is moving. Amen? Y'all have been here, right? Spirit of God is moving in this place, and we know that. And we've been talking about that for a while now. We've been talking about a sailboat, right? Like, there was a period we were talking about how we're, we're the sailboat, when the Spirit of God is like, filling our sails and we're headed somewhere and I've just said over and over again like there is something beyond the horizon we just can't see it quite yet 
And we've spent a lot of time and energy over this last year trying to focus in on it because we know the Spirit has been moving and it feels like we're getting closer and closer. And so we've spent a lot of time working with um, our leadership coach from the Kansas Leadership Center um, over the course of this year, just really trying to hone in what is the impact God is wanting us to have in this corner of the world. Like, what is God up to with us? What are we supposed to be doing? And one of the questions we were asked as a part of that is what is the issue in the world um, that you believe you as an organization um, have been equipped to address, right? What's the issue in the world that you feel like you're supposed to be getting after? In our um, language, it sounds like what um, is the brokenness in the world to which God is calling us to respond and y'all, in the last, I can't even name, maybe two, three, four weeks, I don't even know if it's been that long, it feels like, the f- I don't know, like we just finally like got to where it isn't on the horizon anymore, like that things have started to come into focus. And when I think about the issue that I think we are called to respond to in our world today, it's this one we're talking about um, tonight. It's that we um, have forgotten that we belong to each other. Like, our world has forgotten that we belong to each other, that we are all children of the living God, and we are connected one to another. That is the issue I think God is longing for us to get after. I think it's who the issue that our God has been shaping us to address as he has shaped this community um, in, in these years that we've lived together. And so our session actually put language to this for the first time this week as we met. We said we believe that um, God is um, asking us to become an inclusive center of community life here where love flourishes and relationships are built without constraints. And as I've been chewing on this, I've thought a lot about what it feels like to drive by a church that you don't belong to, right? I drive by probably like, and we all drive by a thousand of them, right, every day? Like you drive by these places that you know are churches that you don't belong to. And I don't know about you, but it's almost like there's this like eight foot tall like perimeter fence. It's invisible, right? But it's like it's there. Like if that's not my spot and those aren't my people, then like uh, you know, you just don't even, like, it, it kind of cracks me up, the people that cut through our parking lot, like, I would never do that. Like, I wouldn't drive into a church's parking lot that wasn't my own, right? Like, I just feel like there's this huge wall that surrounds church properties um, for a, a lot of different reasons, right? And so I, I've, I've been asking myself, I think our session, our leadership has been asking, you know, what do, how do we, how do we break that wall down, right? Like, y'all walk outside, and it might be dark, Maybe not. If you go out for a little, like, breather before dinner, like, walk outside and just, like, stop and take a look around you. Like, we have this incredible property. It's beautiful. These eight acres in the middle of the hustle and bustle of suburban life that still have a barn and a silo on it and this space and these huge trees and this green grass that flows, right? This is a beautiful space a beautiful place where things have been growing for a really long time. 
And what we're asking ourselves is how do we knock down that invisible barrier so that more people begin to see this as their space? So that this isn't just a church that a certain group comes to worship at, but that this is the center of our community's life where all kinds of people come to gather for all kinds of purposes so that we can remind people, whether they're sitting in this worship space or not, that we belong to each other, that we're meant to be connected to one another, so we can invite people to get to know their neighbors face-to-face, right? So that love can flourish and relationships can be built without constraints. So we've been experimenting this with this by like parking some turquoise tables in our front yard. Mark and I made an executive decision today that the tables need to be closer to the sidewalk so we might actually interact with people who are walking by. So we're probably going to move them fairly soon, right? But we've got these turquoise tables that are out in, um, in our front yard because we're wanting to start to imagine that this is a space that isn't just for us, right? It's this gathering space for our community. And so we put, um, Michael's going to throw up uh, the sign that's on our corner now, gather in our front yard, all neighbors welcome here. We want to be front yard people, right? We're saying, anybody, you know, we want you to show up, we want you to live here. I, I found out about another sign this week that I kind of almost want to stick next to our other sign because we say all neighbors are welcome here, but I think you got to like define neighbor anymore in our world. You are our neighbors, no matter who you vote for, your skin color, where you are from, your faith, or who you love, we will try to be here for you. That's what community means. Let's be neighbors. When the author of the turquoise table um, She talks about the backyard privacy fences that so many of us have, right? They kind of wall us off in our backyards, and so that's why she wants to move people to the front yards. She says, instead of building a taller fence, we should build a longer table. We want that eight-foot invisible barrier wall that surrounds our property to come tumbling down. We want to build a table in this community that is long enough for anyone to come and find their place at it. So I said this in my opening prayer, but if you notice in our scripture, everybody is a hot mess in the first half of the story, right? Everybody is just looking out for me and mine, right? In the first half of the story, including Paul, right? And then at verse 25, it tells us that Paul and Silas were in the, in the middle of this prison, right, where they're captive, everyone around them is captive in their own cells, right? Paul and Silas uh, start praying and singing hymns from the deepest part of that prison. And as they began to worship, we start to see everything change around them. First of all, all the prisoners who are in jail with them, they start listening. And I can just imagine this prison where everybody's divided up behind bars and locked in their combined spaces, right? So many of them had foot shackles on, just like Paul and Silas. And yet suddenly, as they begin to worship, everybody's like leaning in, right? And 
and listening to their prayers and the songs that they're singing. And as those, all the prisoners start joining in in this worship with Paul and Silas, then suddenly that spirit of God we've been talking about, that spirit of God we've been feeling moving in and through this community, y'all, it moves with a mighty force, right? And there's this earthquake that like rumbles the foundation of the prison and all of those doors that locked all of those people behind cages and bars and separated them and divided them, all of those doors come flinging wide open. And all of those shackles that bound all of those people just fall off, right? And everybody's set free. And if any of them were operating out of their own self-interest, they would have ran for it in that moment. But they don't. Because somehow, through the power of the Spirit of God, they've become a body, right? They've become a community. And so they all stay. They stay in the middle of this prison, and they wait to see what God will do. And Paul and Silas reach out to the jailer who's about to kill himself because he's failed at his job. The authorities that rule over him are probably going to punish him, right? He's about to take his own life, and they say, stop, no, we didn't leave you, we are here for you. And then the worship continues as Paul and Silas speak God's word to him, as he brings them to his home, and they share a meal together, and people are baptized, and there's just this joyful feast of the people of God. A story that begins with division and unrest and conflict, ends with community and care, peace and joy. Because the people worship. And as they worship, they are reminded of who they are. And as they worship, they are reminded that they belong to one another. The doors of that prison flew open when Paul and Silas worshipped their God, when they prayed and sang hymns to God, which is exactly why our vision for this place, not only is that we might be an inclusive center of community life where love flourishes and relationships are built without constraints, but is also that we are home to two vibrant worshipping communities that are transformative. For us to become an inclusive center of community life, our worship life, as it happens in both of our services, both of the communities that gather for worship in this space, our worship life has to be at the heart of our life together. For our worship reminds us of whose law and will we are subject to. Our worship reminds us of who we truly are children of the triune God. Our worship reminds us over and over and over again that we belong, that we belong to God and to one another. Paul and Silas worshiped and they remembered. They worshiped and they created the opportunity for the spirit of God to move. They worshiped and prison doors flew open. They worshiped and so many people were set free. Set free to live the life they were created to live. Our hope 
for our life here is the same. May we worship and remember that we belong. We belong to God and to one another. May we worship so that the spirit of God would keep on moving. May we worship so that that eight-foot barrier wall that surrounds this place might come tumbling down. May we worship so that our doors might fling open wide. May we worship so that people can be set free. May we worship so that we may be set free to live the life we were all created to live together. May it be so. Might we pray that that vision for who we are and our life here together be so. Amen. Amen.